one of the things that's changed over the last 10 years or so since the first time that I went is usually a little bit of Wi-Fi access. So, uh, access. so if you're on Facebook, I'm sure Dave will try to post that he has arrived and, and on some of our church social media accounts if you have access to those uh, so you can keep up to date with what's going on and just be praying over the next few days. How often in your life do you use the phrase, the most important thing is dot, dot, dot? You fill it in. If you talk a lot with people, if you talk with your kids a lot, your spouse, your, your coworkers, your neighbors, you probably use that phrase all the time. The interesting thing about the most important thing is, is that it depends on what you're talking about, right? Some of you out there I know are right on the cusp of sending your children out into the world behind the wheel of an automobile. I have done that. I've walked this road. It's a scary road. Now, if you're talking to your kids about driving and you're teaching them how to drive and you say, now the most important thing is, you might say something like, always be watching all the other cars around you. Uh, if you're trying to show someone how to bake a cake, you might say, the most important thing is remember to put in all the ingredients. Uh, if you are driving a honey wagon and you are emptying porta potties, you might say, the most important thing is make sure that hose is well connected to the truck, right? If you're thinking about survival, what's the most important thing? I always think food. And have food, but you know, you can last 30 or 40 days without food. I couldn't last 30 or 40 days, but apparently some humans can last that long without food. Some of you are saying, no, no, it's not food, it's water. You can have water. Well, you can last six or seven days without water. I think it's oxygen. Can only last two or three minutes without oxygen, right? But what I really want to know is what's the most important thing of all the most important things? Right? Now, you know, we're here this morning to glorify Jesus Christ. We're here to exalt Jesus Christ. We're here to worship Jesus Christ. We're here to teach about Jesus Christ. So you won't be surprised when I say that I think the answer to that question is that Jesus and knowing Jesus is the most important thing of all the important things. Now today we're 51 books into our study of the whole story. And what we've found is that the entire word of God is about Jesus Christ. The whole thing. If you're reading in the book of Luke and you get to the end of that book in chapter 24, you see that Jesus has gone to the cross, he's, he's died, he's been buried, he has been resurrected, he's come out of the tomb, and there are two guys that are walking down this road. They're heading to Emmaus. And all of a sudden, Jesus is with them. They, they actually don't realize that it's Jesus. They're just walking along, and all of a sudden, there's a third guy. We know, reading, that it's Jesus. 
And if you read that passage, it says in verse 27 that beginning with Moses and the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. They were aware of the scripture. They had read it. They had learned it. They were good Jews. But Jesus said, hey, you know when Moses said this? You know when Isaiah prophesied this? You know when Micah said that? You remember when Zechariah said, that was about me. In the Gospel of John, John closes his book by saying, these things are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. The entire Word of God is about Jesus. Now, we're looking in the book of Colossians this morning. If you have your Bible with you, you can, you can turn with me there. But Colossians was written by the Apostle Paul around the year 60 A.D. And as far as we can tell, Paul had never been to Colossae. He had never been there. But there was a network of churches, of course you know that, many of which Paul had planted, and he had a number of guys that helped him and traveled around to these cities where these churches were to teach them and to lead them. And Paul found out that there was some false teaching that was beginning to take root in the church at Colossae. And so Paul wrote this letter, and if you read it, just two or three years ago, we taught, Tim and I taught through the whole book of Colossians, so I know that you guys remember all that, so this is all review. But if you read the book of Colossians, Paul sets up this, this theological treatise about the person and the deity of Jesus Christ. You see, that was the error that was coming down the pike. That was what was infiltrating the church in Colossae, was that Jesus was not truly God. What's interesting to me is that when we read the book of Colossians, we see there that Paul doesn't try to explain all of the errors And what I think we need to understand here this morning as we think about our world and think about all the things that are going on is that we don't have to become experts on all of the false teaching that is going on around us. We need to become experts on the person of Jesus Christ. Because the best way to protect our minds from the lies of Satan is to fill them with the truth of Scripture. And that's what Paul does for the Colossians, and that's what we want to take a look at here this morning. What is the truth? Here is the truth. It's this, that Jesus Christ is preeminent. Jesus Christ is preeminent. Now, when I was thinking about this this week and what I wanted to share with you, I was thinking about that phrase, Jesus Christ is preeminent, and I thought, well, maybe that sounds a little too highfalutin. Maybe I should just say, Jesus is the best, or Jesus is in charge, and he is those things. But I want you to stretch your brain this morning. I was talking to Tom the other day. We were all talking to, uh, Sunday night. We were doing the prayer time, and, and, and I think Chantrell said something about the fact that Hannah is all jacked up about going to school. Nurture that. I don't know how long that's going to last, but 
And Tom was sitting over on the other side. Tom McGarvey, most of you know, is a history teacher at the high school. And he was over there, and I think he literally put his fingers in his ears and said, don't talk about school. I have a month left. So I'm sorry. I know it's summertime, but I want you to learn something here this morning. We're going to stretch your vocabulary. We're going to actually have a theological discussion here this morning and understand that when we say that Jesus Christ is preeminent, we mean that he is superior to all and he is over all. We're going to see what that means, and we're going to see why that is so important to our lives as Christ followers. Let me read for you Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. It says this, Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So Paul tells us two things about the preeminence of Christ. First of all, he says he is preeminent over creation. It says he is the image of the invisible God. What does that mean? It means Jesus is the perfect, absolutely accurate image of God in every way. Jesus said this himself in John 14, verse 9. He said, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. In John chapter 1, the Apostle John says, The Word, that is Christ, became flesh and dwelt among us. Hebrews 1.3 says, Christ is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. If you're familiar with some of the verses that we always highlight at Christmas time, in Isaiah chapter 7, we learn that one of Jesus' names is Emmanuel. Does anybody know what Emmanuel means? It means God with us. God with us. If you have seen Jesus, you have seen God. He is the full and final revelation of God. And to think anything less of him is blasphemy. How many people, maybe at some point in your life, maybe as a young person or as a young Christian, you thought that there was God the Father, and then just a little step down was Jesus? Nobody wants to admit it. I know you all did. That's okay. That's what we tend to think, right? Well, the, the, the Father, the Father is the Father. He is over all. And then, and then you have a little notch down as Jesus. And then I know you all thought this, then the Holy Spirit is down here. But that's not what the Scripture says. The Scripture says that when you see Jesus, Jesus told his disciples, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus Christ is God. Now comes a phrase that is often misinterpreted. The second phrase in that verse 15, he is the firstborn of all creation. Now many people, many people believe that this, is, this means that Jesus was the first thing or the first person that God created. There's two reasons why that's wrong. Here's the first reason. It contradicts everything else Paul is about to say here. And everything we read in Scripture in the book of John and elsewhere about the fact that Jesus Christ was the one who created, 
the world, but it's also not an appropriate interpretation of the word firstborn. The word firstborn here, the Greek word literally means of superior rank, or guess what else it means? Preeminent. It means preeminent. I know you're not interested in this, but you're down there and I'm up here, so I'm going to tell you anyway. The Greek word here is prototokos. Why does that matter? You're sitting there thinking, I don't know why you tell us these things, Mike. You know we're not going to remember it, and why does it matter? At least remember why it matters. Because in the Greek language, there's a completely different word that means first thing created. And if Paul meant that Jesus was the first thing that the Father created, he would have used that word, but he didn't. He used prototokos, which means preeminent. Verse 16 says, all things, twice, all things have been created by him. And he goes on to say, heaven and earth, visible, invisible, all of these things. Every single part, all things means every single part that makes up the whole. This universe was created through him. And not only that, it was created, Paul says, for him. I don't know if you've ever tried to study the universe, if you remember your science classes when you were a youngster, or if you're in school right now and you study, you'll find all kinds of amazing things about the universe. Did you know that our sun is 864,000 miles in diameter? That's 100 times greater in diameter than the earth. Did you know that you could put 1.3 million Earths inside the sun? That's how big the sun is. But there's another star, and this is true. It's called Betelgeuse. It's not spelled like the movie from the 80s, but it's called Betelgeuse. It's 300 times bigger than our sun. You've ever heard of the star Alpha Centauri? Alpha Centauri is the closest star. When you, tonight, if the sky is, if some night, sometime in the next couple of months, we have a clear night without rain, and you look up in the sky and you see all the stars, Alpha Centauri is the closest star to this earth. It's 24 trillion miles away. Paul says, every single thing in this universe was created by Jesus and for Jesus. The level of detail amidst the mammoth size of this universe is so staggering that all of our scientists with all of their abilities and all of their equipment, even in this modern age, still have no idea, even a fraction of what's out there. Paul goes on to say in verse 17 that not only did Jesus create all of these things, but he says it this way as well. He is before all things. He is before all things. Before the earth was created, Jesus was. He has no beginning or end. 
Jesus himself testifies that. If you recall the verse, if you've ever read the book of Revelation, you read Revelation chapter 1, Jesus there testifies of himself. And what does he say? He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Alpha is the first letter in the Greek language, Greek alphabet. Omega is the last letter. He's saying, I'm the A to Z. I'm the beginning and the end. He is the initiator and the culmination of all creation. That's what Paul means when he says by him and through him and for him. Paul finishes this little section by saying, by him, or in him rather, all things hold together. Atoms are the building blocks of everything that exists in this world. Atoms are made up of, among other things, protons and neutrons. Protons are positively charged, neutrons are negatively charged, and they all circle around the nucleus of the atom. Okay? You get that? They just go like this constantly. There's millions of them, billions of them in your body right now. Protons and neutrons circling that nu nucleus, making up your body. Scientists have no idea how those things all stay together. They're constantly studying them, constantly trying to figure out how all this works, how they could create these little building blocks of life, they haven't done it yet, and I suspect they never will. They don't know how they're held together, but you know what? I do. Jesus holds them together. That's what Paul says. In him, all things are held together. Jesus will continue to hold them together until his design for this earth and this world is over. And then, 1 Peter says, or 2 Peter rather says, he will, guess what? Not hold them together. You know what's going to happen when Jesus decides that he is done with this earth and he decides not to hold all things together? Everything will be destroyed. You know what happens when you split an atom? When you tear it apart? An explosion, right? A bomb. Second Peter chapter 3, Peter tells us that all of the heavens and the earth will be destroyed. In a revelation, we learn that God will create a new heaven and a new earth. Why does this matter? Why is Paul telling us all of this? He's telling us this because he wants us to understand that Jesus Christ is preeminent over creation. So there's a lot of people in our world today that think they're in charge of this world. There's a lot of people that are trying to tell us, if we do this, we'll save the world. Or if we stop doing that, we'll save the world. And that's all dependent on us. The world has been going to come to an end for the last 50 years. And I suspect for the next 100, the message will be the same. But the reality is the earth and the world and you and I are going to be here until Jesus Christ is done with us being here 
and his purpose is fulfilled because he is preeminent over all creation. Paul goes on to tell us that he is also preeminent over the church. Verse 18 of Colossians 1, And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross." If you spend any time reading in the New Testament, you know that the church is, is called a lot of things. It's called a family, a kingdom, a building, a flock, a bride. But the most detailed description of the church is a body. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul spends several verses describing the church and how it functions together. And now he continues that description of the church here in Colossians 1 by saying that the church is a body and Jesus Christ is the head. He is the head of the church. He controls it. He directs it. He energizes it. He coordinates it. He is the head of the body. Paul goes on to say he's the beginning. The word beginning means the origin of the founder, and the implication of the word beginning is, guess what? Preeminent. He's the firstborn from the dead, he says. Again, the same word that we saw earlier, which means preeminent. He's the firstborn from the dead. Jesus Christ rose from the grave. Now, is Jesus Christ the first one to rose from the grave? People look at this verse and say, see, the Bible's all screwed up. They just say he's the first to rise from the dead, and that's not true. Right? There were several stories of Christ raising people from the dead before he himself rose from the dead. But it doesn't mean he was the first one in time. It means he was the preeminent one, the most important one. You see, when Lazarus was raised from the dead when Jesus told him to come out of the tomb. In John chapter 11, a few years later, Lazarus died again. But when Jesus rose from the grave, he gave life. He's the firstborn from the dead. So that, Paul goes on to say, in everything he might be, and he uses the word, preeminent. What is God trying to tell us here? What is Paul trying to tell the Colossians? What are we supposed to be learning here? Might it be that Jesus Christ must be the head of this church? That he must be the leader, the owner, the director, the most important thing? He's the beginning. He's the founder. He's the preeminent one. He's the firstborn. He's the preeminent one. Why? So that we can see that he's preeminent. Paul understands, the Holy Spirit understands that our brains are like cheesecloth. And information just flows through them into the atmosphere. He is preeminent. And by the way, that's why we never give up. That's why we never stop doing this, this, because Jesus Christ is the head of this church, because he's going to build it, he is going to direct it, 
He is going to accomplish his purpose. And I just want to encourage you this morning that no matter what happens out there, we must never give up what we are doing right here. Because Jesus is the head. And Paul closes this little section by saying, in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Why does he say that? If Jesus Christ is God, then he is God. We get it. But there were people in this day that didn't get it. There was a group of people called the Gnostics. Their heads were full of knowledge and they liked to, to reason everything out and figure everything out. And, and they believed that all the power and the attributes of deity were spread out over all kinds of spirit beings and angels. And Jesus was just one of many. Yes, he had, he had a little power. He had a little deity in him, but it was spread out all over the place. I don't know if that sounds familiar to you or not, but I've heard all kinds of people in our world say, well, we all have a little bit of the divine in us. Yeah. Never had a kid, did you? There's no divine in here. <laughs> There's no deity in here. And Paul says, to combat this heresy, all of the power and the glory and the holiness and the wisdom of God is found in Jesus Christ. Not only that, but as Jesus is preeminent in the church, he is the one who reconciles us, he says in the last verse that we're looking at. He reestablishes our relationship with him. He forgives us. He redeems us. Do you know that when we are saved, it is God who does the work? It is Jesus Christ who saves you. It is not you who go to Christ and say, I think I'd like to be saved now. I'm going to just go ahead and do that. Jesus Christ is the one who does the work in your heart and in your life. When you trust him, when you accept that gift, it is his work on his cross. Notice what Paul says here, making peace by the blood of his cross. He's the only one who can do that. My friends, Jesus Christ is preeminent. He is superior to all. He is over all. And now that you know what that means, you understand that this is not empty theology. This is not mere discussion. That the preeminence of Jesus Christ matters in your life. So I want you to think about this as we close here this morning. If Jesus Christ is God and he is preeminent over creation, if he created it all, if he sustains it all, if he's preeminent over the church, if he leads it, if he directs it, if he empowers it, if that's who Jesus is and that's what this means, Is this the type of person that you ask to be your assistant? Because that's the way you treat God in your life sometimes. Your assistant. 
How do you treat an assistant? Well, I do everything that I can do, and then when I get to the stuff that I don't have time for, I give it to my assistant. I ask them to do it. That's how you treat Jesus Christ. I can handle it until I can't handle it. Then you ask him to come over and give you a hand. Is this the kind of person that you would ask to be your occasional confidant? Oh, I talk to Jesus when I need him. I don't need him today. Tomorrow I may. A couple of days ago I did. The life of a Christian is a life of submission to Jesus. And a true disciple offers himself to Christ daily in submission to his desires, to be used for his purposes. That's why Paul, in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, said, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. I appeal to you, Paul says. That word means I'm calling you to this. I'm encouraging you to do this. But you know, my friends, it actually means a little more than that. Paul was in fact saying, I'm begging you. I'm pleading with you. Because of who Jesus is and because of what he has done, to offer yourself daily to him as a sacrifice. My friends, that's why I'm here today. I certainly am not putting myself in the place of Paul. But that's why I'm here. That's why I'm telling you this. That's why I'm teaching this passage of Scripture. There are all kinds of passages in Colossians that I could have picked, but I chose this one. Because I am calling you to this. I'm encouraging you in this way. And I'm, I, I'm begging you to submit yourself to Jesus, to know him intimately, to follow him closely. I'm begging you to not allow the pressures of this world to sway you or your own feelings to run away with you. You go in my office on the edge of one of my bookshelves, I have a little strip of paper. I put it right there on purpose because I want to see it every day. It says, we study theology in the light so we can stand on it in the dark. It's light right now light. Nobody told you you couldn't come here today to do this. There could come a time when someone does say that. You can't do this. We study these things in the light so we can stand on it in the dark. Because I got to tell you what, whether it's light or dark, Jesus Christ is preeminent. And that is not going to change. And that's why I'm begging you to submit your life to Jesus Christ. 
to live in light of what you know because it's light right now. You think, oh man, it's getting so tough to do what's right. This is nothing. This is nothing. There's a day coming when it's really going to be dark. If you don't choose to stand for Jesus Christ, to submit yourself to him now, you won't then. And by the way, sometimes when things are difficult in our lives, we say, well, you know what, God? I've had enough. If you're not going to do what I want you to do, or if, or if you're not going to take care of me and bless me in the way that I think you should, and here I am trying to do everything right, then I'm just done. And by the way, that is happening all over the place. You can do that. You can walk away from God. You can say, that's it. I'm done. You know what? You're just going to be over there trying to live your life without God. It's not going to change anything. It's not going to change who he is or what he has done for you. Are you going to reject the lordship of Christ? Are you going to turn away from the one who created the universe by the mere sound of his voice and say, nope, I got it. You're going to turn your back on the one who's done more for you than anyone ever possibly could. So we're celebrating communion today. You know what that means, don't you? It means the greatest became the lowest for you. Philippians 2, 5 says that Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, took on the form of a servant, and being born in the likeness of men, he was found in human form. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. That's what Jesus did for you. going to celebrate communion together this morning. If you have a cup there, I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to pray together and then I encourage you to, as you are ready, to take the bread and the cup, symbols of Christ's body and blood that were broken and shed for us. But don't do it just because you got the cup there. Do it because you mean it. Do it because you're truly thankful for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Let's come to the altar. Father, we humble ourselves before you and we bow before the Lord Jesus Christ who is preeminent. We thank you for his sacrifice, for his blood which covers our sin. And we pray that this offering that we give to you here this morning would be fit tribute for your goodness and grace to us. In Christ's name, amen.